Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode eight of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. So today, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with our first mother-daughter duo, Jan Engel and Liz Donnelly. Jan, Liz, and I are going to be talking about many things, including leadership, international travel, and finding time for fun in this busy world. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Jan and Liz, and then let them also tell you about their background and some of their adventures in life. Janet P. Engel, Jan, is the Executive Director of the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy Education, ACPE, and is a past president of the American Pharmacists Association. Jan also has served as a voting member of the FDA Non-Prescription Drug Advisory Committee. Jan is an internationally recognized expert on the topics of non-prescription medications, pharmacy education, and leadership, and is very active in international pharmacy. A fun fact about Jan is she's appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show and Dr. Oz talking about how to avoid medication errors. And I have to tell you, my mom always gives me a call when Jan's been on TV talking about prescription or, and non-prescription drugs in the Chicago area. We're also joined by Liz Donnelly, a student pharmacist at University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Liz is an author of a blog, The Pitt Prescription, where she tears tips on how to stay healthy in college. That's a good one. A recent article was on seasonal allergies. Liz also is a class representative at Pitt and enjoys travel with her family. So as we get started, Jan and Liz, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. Um, before we get into your career and student experiences, maybe you both can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and life in Chicago. Well, I can start with that. I actually grew up in New Jersey, although I don't often admit it because once Jersey Shore came on, people had kind of a uh, warped understanding of our state. But I am from New Jersey and I attended Rutgers University for pharmacy school. I always knew I wanted to be a pharmacist. So my senior year of high school, I applied early decision to Rutgers and I was accepted right out of high school. What happened after that kind of guided the rest of my career. The summer before I started pharmacy school, I was asked to join APHA. And, you know, as a kind of a new pharmacy student, you kind of just do whatever people tell you. So I joined APHA. And then when I started school, there was an upperclassman who said to me, well, you have to go to the APHA mid-year regional conference, which happened to be in Philadelphia. So I did that and kind of the rest is history. All throughout college, I was really involved in APHA serving in a whole variety of offices including the student president of our chapter. I even was elected to a regional position as the mid-year regional coordinator. So I had a whole variety of experiences. After Rutgers, I was still in New Jersey and I was working as a full-time pharmacist in a hospital. And in the evening, I was doing community pharmacy work as well. And that's when I realized it was time maybe to go back to school. And I was uh, very lucky to have the mentorship of Ina Caligaro who is actually a faculty member at Temple, but she used to be at Rutgers, but she convinced me to go back to school and do a PharmD and get a residency. And then I got really lucky because Ina's husband, who is a physician, happened to get a residency in Chicago 
So I got to have her as my faculty member and mentor again when I was at Illinois getting my PharmD in residency. So I got very lucky there and that's kind of how I ended up in Chicago. Oh, that's so cool. I had never heard that story about the connections of getting you from Jersey to Chicago. And I knew about your experience at, you know, with APHA, but it's very interesting to hear that it started way back when. And then Liz, do you want to share a little bit about your experience in Chicago? Yeah, of course. So I ended up in Chicago because I was born here. <laughs> um, I really, really like Chicago. It's a great city. And I think living here was a great experience because of how large and diverse the city is and how many opportunities I've had by living in the actual city. Um, I was lucky enough to go to St. Ignatius College Prep. And that gave me many opportunities to, you know, experience interacting with people from different backgrounds and also get a good education that prepared me well for college. Uh, I really liked the variety of extracurriculars that my high school offered because there were so many different things I could explore a lot of different fields and kind of figure out what I was interested in. And so I was a member of many different clubs, photography, I was a member of the math team, the student newspaper, everything like that. And it helped me kind of narrow down what my true interests are. And it helped me realize that I do want to go somewhere into a healthcare field and I wanted to help people. I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. So getting opportunities to look at different fields and shadow and learn about different aspects of things was also very nice. Specifically with the newspaper, I was really, really interested in culture and blogs. And I became an executive board officer for my senior year of high school. And that led to me uh, joining the newspaper when I got to college in the University of Pittsburgh. And I currently go to school in Pittsburgh and it's pretty different from Chicago. I sometimes miss home, but I think there are a lot of unique experiences uh, specific to Pittsburgh, especially with UPMC being such a massive entity there that you can get a lot of experiences at um, where I currently work as well, Children's Hospital. Well, thank you for that overview. And it's interesting too that you start, your mom started East and went to the Midwest and you started in the Midwest and then went back East. So we can explore that a little bit more. And I also want to highlight that yesterday was International Women's Day. And so, you know, I think for us today, having a mother-daughter duo on, for me, my mother, um, Bev Muir, and I think she's probably listening to this at some point, we'll listen to our interview, are so influential on our lives. And so, you know, just hearing about the past that you've taken so far is really cool. So Liz, you know, in the introduction, I talked that you grew up in a healthcare family and both your mom and dad are pharmacists, and that's a little interesting. So how'd you decide to go to pharmacy school? And then tell me more, we started to touch on this about how you ended up at Pitt School of Pharmacy. Yeah, so originally when I was younger, I didn't want to go into pharmacy, mainly because I would hear my parents come home from work and talk about things and it just didn't really seem very interesting to me. But that's because both of them have pretty non-traditional career paths within pharmacy, especially my mom. She's had a really, really interesting career and it's pretty unique. I don't think many people could say that they've done even half of the things she's done. So that's really awesome. But I kind of looked into other careers at first in high school, specifically junior and senior year when you're kind of starting the college application process. I was interested in engineering, law, and communications, but none of them really had the aspect of helping people in the way that I wanted to help people. And so then I did actually get the chance to shadow a hospital pharmacist during rounds and see kind of what they did. And that was my first real step into pharmacy other than seeing what my parents did. 
And it was really interesting because I got to learn about things like infectious diseases, hospital pharmacy, ambulatory care, outpatient care, just all around different things about pharmacy. And I realized that there are so many different paths that pharmacy could take you down that you don't have to follow just, you know, a clinical pharmacist or a, a um, Rite Aid pharmacist, CVS pharmacist, you know, retail uh, that's kind of the misconception that I think a lot of people have is that pharmacists are just the people who stand behind the counter at a retail store and just, you know, count medications and dispense them. But there are so many other amazing things that pharmacists can do. And there are so many different paths that you can follow and incorporate other interests within that. And that's kind of why I chose pharmacies, because I realized you know, I can incorporate my communications interests within pharmacy as I'm currently doing right now. And I can still help people and use scientific knowledge and my scientific background to help people while incorporating everything else. And so then with the University of Pittsburgh specifically, I applied to quite a few colleges for pharmacy and I luckily got accepted into all of them. And that actually made it a lot more difficult for me to choose between schools because it was just hard to look at everything, go to different places, view their programs and try and tell which one I would fit best at because, you know, going there and seeing it for a couple of days or for a day is not very helpful in thinking about how I'm going to be there for the next four to eight years. Right, and so, right. <laughs> yeah, I eventually got it narrowed down to the University of Iowa and the University of Pittsburgh. And with that, it was a really, really difficult decision. I waited until the absolute deadline for when you had to decide. And I ultimately settled on the University of Pittsburgh, mainly because their mission statement about personalizing education stood out to me. And I think that it's really unique to be able to kind of add your own personal touch on a curriculum that is usually pretty set in stone. That's really cool. I think it's neat that you talked about too, that there's so many different paths in pharmacy and also, you know, what your original interpretations are kind of what you first saw from your parents. You're like, oh, well, it could be different. So I think for our listeners, having their minds open that they could look at things in a different way is really cool. And I think you made a great choice. Um, uh, one of my pharmacy colleagues, Susan Meyer is at Pitt and she was really fabulous to me early on in my career. I shared this story with your mom recently that um, when I was a resident and had to write a policy paper, I went over and Susan helped me with some research and was a very calm presence where I was kind of new and thinking, I don't really know what I'm doing. And she was like, you got this, you can, you can do this. So you have some excellent leadership at Pitt. The other thing I should mention about Susan is she reached out to me mom to mom and told me, don't worry, we have this. If something happens to Liz while she's in Pittsburgh, you can call me, you know, so it was really <laughs> nice to have another colleague there who, uh, was also concerned about my daughter's well-being. You know, I think that is so important, Jan, and thank you for sharing that, that the relationships that we have and that people staying in touch and saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'll be there for her and I can help her navigate whatever comes up. That's really cool. I bet that was very reassuring for you. It was. It, it's funny because if you go back many years, um, Susan and her husband used to play golf with my husband when we used to go to meetings before we had kids. Oh my gosh. And we kind of go full circle, you know, her daughter's growing up. Yeah. She's now at Pitt and, and there's she and her husband, Bill, you know, once again, you know, volunteering to help out if we needed them. Oh, that's, I love that. I love those connections. Well, we all have spent time at APHA 2215 in Washington, D.C. And for me with the, um, the building, one of the highlights is on the sixth floor of the Women in Pharmacy exhibit and conference room. And 
what I think is so cool when you're in there, it highlights some of the firsts for women and some of the things that they did. And one of those is highlighting Gloria Nehemiah Frankie. And I know, Jan, that Gloria has been very influential in your career. Can you talk to me a little bit more about Gloria and the impact that she had on you? Well, very early in my career, right after I finished my residency, um, Andy, my husband and I, we decided to go to our first FIP meeting. And it happened to be in Australia. And that's where I was lucky enough to meet Gloria. So it was kind of ironic that we had to go to the other side of the world to meet her, even though she's from the US. But she was on that trip and uh, she took a, an interest in my career and some of the things that I was doing. At the time, I was very active in the APHA Academy of Pharmacy Practice and Management. And Gloria was very supportive. She kept telling me not to worry about who I had to run against or what I needed to do to get a certain uh, committee stance moved forward. She told me, you know, do what you think is right and don't let things like gender get in your way. So she was really a role model very early on for women in pharmacy and she was very supportive of me. I found her advice to be very helpful throughout my career. I was a member of the APHA Board of Trustees. I think you know this story. Um, when I had my first child, who happened to be Liz, who's on this podcast, and she attended her first APHA board meeting at the ripe old age of five weeks. I do so, remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was because of Gloria, you know, that I decided I'm going to continue doing this and I'm not going to step back just because I'm a mom. And fortunately, Andy, my husband, is very supportive and he was willing to uh, take care of Liz. I was actually in the board meeting. I didn't actually put her under the table or anything like that. She just was in Washington with me. But it was because of Gloria and others who supported diversity and uh, women that really helped pave the way for leadership in these groups and made it much easier for me. I love you sharing that about um, that you met her on, you know, in Australian International. And I think about when I was the APHA executive resident part of like your learning was learning the building and learning different things for the tour. And so when George Griffinhagen took me through the library, he showed me where Gloria used to sit when she was the section leader for the health system or hospital pharmacist group, which then later spun off for ASHP and that she was the first executive secretary for that group. And so like you, I reflect on all the things that Gloria did that were so groundbreaking where she was the first. And so I very much admire the example that she set for all of us and, you know, then her work in international pharmacy and she just kept going, kept going and trying new things. And um, I think that's been a really good learning for all of us. She was definitely a role model for many people. Yeah, for sure. Well, Liz, when we started, um, you talked a little bit about your passion for communications and your interest in pharmacy education, but also communication. So tell me a little bit more about how the PIT prescription came about and you know, why you're interested in communications. And then when you try to figure out what you're gonna talk about or write about for the college students, what's that process? Okay, so I think my mom can back me up on this when I say I am a talker. Yes, I can. I talk a lot <laughs> because sometimes it's not very concise. I like to give backstories. She told me not to do that today, <laughs> but Ever since grade school, I have been really interested in communications. My grade school, FXW, did a morning broadcast where they actually, it was live, and I really truly to this day don't know exactly how they did this, but they had news anchors uh, live broadcasting through the entire school, both campuses, and they would say morning announcements, we would do um, Pledge of Allegiance, we would talk about current events happening, things like that. 
and in eighth grade, that's the year you're allowed to do that. I was in it and I participated in it as much as I possibly could until they told me I needed to let other people participate in it. I love that. <laughs> but I really, really like communications. Yes, I was a news anchor. I was a producer. I was a director. I was the weather person at one point, which, you know, that's a fun thing to be. <laughs> um, so I have done that and I did that in eighth grade. And then I also was in the newspaper in grade school, but it wasn't really a big thing back then. We didn't do that much with it. We just kind of talked about current events and wrote up stories and stuff. But then in high school, I joined our high school newspaper. And in my senior year, I became the uh, editor for the arts and leisure section, which was basically the uh, culture section for our newspaper. And going off of that, since I was getting really familiar with it, I took a journalism class in high school. I actually took two journalism classes in high school. And then that led to me joining the Pitt News in college. And the Pitt News isn't necessarily a normal college newspaper, I would say. It's kind of like an independent organization in and of itself, where you kind of have to apply and go through a hiring process, get interviewed, and then you show them kind of your portfolio, everything you've done, why you would be a good fit. And so I did that and I got hired and I started mainly my second semester of my freshman year of college in the culture section. And I did that throughout my whole second semester of freshman year and through my sophomore year. Sophomore year, I got promoted to being a senior staff writer. And then my junior year, which is this year, so technically my junior year, but my P1 year of pharmacy school, I actually joined the digital desk and the Pitt News wanted to kind of broadened their online platform. And so they created a blog section and told any staff members that they could pitch ideas. And they were looking for a lot of, you know, fun ideas, I would say. And so I was a little nervous pitching a healthcare-based blog because I didn't know if that's kind of the style that they were looking for, but they did accept it. And so in September, I started writing The Pit Prescription, which is a bi-weekly blog for The Pit News. And that semester, my first semester of pharmacy school, my mom actually looked over the articles that I wrote just so that I made sure that they were correct and that they would be okay to release to the public and I wouldn't be misinforming anyone. I wanted to make sure that all of my information was actually going to be helpful. It wouldn't hurt anybody. And then this semester, Dr. Pater, who is an amazing person, she's one of the faculty members at Pitt. She is working with me as a special topics course for this. But the PIP prescription came about just because I kind of thought it would be a good idea to disperse self-care knowledge to college students because there's so much misuse of over-the-counter medications. And I think college students are a pretty common population where you see that, where, you know, a lot of people don't read the packaging. They don't realize that, you know, combination products might have Tylenol in them. And then if you take Tylenol in excess of it, that's taking too much. And you don't really know that if you don't read it you know, that kind of thing. And so for topics, I usually look at something that I can relate to the current season, I guess. And so Halloween time in colleges, there's something called Hollow Weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's basically the weekend either before or after, sometimes both, where there's a bunch of Halloween parties and stuff. So I wrote a pit prescription article called hangover hacks for hollow weekend and that got a lot of hits. okay <laughs> yes a lot of hits but uh thematically i just look at things that apply to the college age population one of my favorite ones to write was my flu shot article 
just because there are so many myths and misconceptions about flu shots and the flu in general. And so it was really nice being able to have a platform where I can express, you know, medically correct information regarding the flu shot and kind of maybe, uh, you know, lessen some fears that college students who might not have medical knowledge might have about the flu shot. So that was a fun time. So it's interesting you would share that. And we'll, in the um, follow-up for the podcast, we'll include a link to the flu shot and maybe the Halloween one. That's funny too. But that was the first PIP prescription that you wrote that I saw. I think your mom shared it and I, I saw it on Facebook. And I remember reading it and being like, this is really good because what you captured was like what people need to know. I mean, I think there's so much in the press about get your flu shot, get your flu shot, or, you know, um, have you stopped by to do it? But, you know, you, you, you had a very easy to understand language that wasn't, you know, didn't use terminology that people would be like, I don't know what she's talking about. And so I found that really interesting. And then your other topics, I think you did one on sleep that I thought was very interesting. And yeah, I think you've picked things that really, you know, are relevant and important. And I love that you're kind of trying to dispel some of the myths out there with self-care because boy, sometimes some of the stuff we see on Instagram or people talking about like, oh, let's try this treatment. And you're like, do you really want to do that to your yeah, body? Or, you know, absolutely. that might, en- you might end up at that student health center versus um, getting better. And I also th- was really impressed. And I, I shared your flu shot. I mean, your flu story with others that I, cause I'm like, this is really good. Like we need to get this broadly disseminated and, and published. Cause it was, it was just really well-written. Oh, and you. I think- <laughs> In this world where, you know, there's so much with text or Google or, you know, oh, I don't really need to write things. I think that you and there's others um, here at University of Iowa, the students have a Toastmasters group where they focus on both written and oral communications. And I think enhancing our communications is just kind of a cool thing to do. So that your background on that was really cool. And like I said, we'll include a link in the follow up to the podcast. So, you know, and some of the things we've talked about. Jan, I want to kind of shift gears. Uh, In today's world, we do have many more family-friendly policies, but I would say, you know, we still have a long way to go on that too. So can you share some experiences? And we've touched on this a little bit when you talked about Liz being at the board meeting at five weeks, but some of your experiences being a mom and how that kind of has gone as your leadership and career experiences have expanded and grown? Sure, I can talk about that. I think the first thing I want to say about it is no matter what your position is at work or what elected office you may hold or, you know, what life is dealing you at that particular time, you never stop being a mom. Your kids, they just do not care about your title or that you may be in an important meeting or what you're doing. If you, they need you. They expect you to be there. And let me just give you a quick backstory about that flu shot article. As Liz mentioned, the first semester I was reviewing them just to make sure a pharmacist looked it over and, uh, you know, was okay with the content. She sent me that article while I was in Abu Dhabi at FIP. It was probably 11 o'clock at night with the, with the message, mom, I need this back in an hour. I'm on deadline. Exposing me. I love it. I love it. You know, I was with two other pharmacists who helped me, you know, we looked through it and, you know, we, and she really didn't need very much feedback, but uh, I, so this whole thing, you're always a mom. It didn't matter that I was on, you know, in the Middle East working and I was with colleagues and that sort of thing. She needed me. And so you stop everything and you do it. But anyway, I've always been really lucky uh, in that I keep mentioning Andy. Andy's my husband. He's uh, for 33 years so far. He is also a pharmacist Yay. and uh, he has a very busy job. But because he's so supportive, we've been able to make it work such that both of us are able to pursue our interests both inside and outside of pharmacy, 
while raising this little family of ours. So let me give you some examples of things that have happened over the years. So, you know, there's family friendly policies, but sometimes they just don't speak to all the crazy things that can happen. So as an example, uh, Liz has a brother and when he came along, uh, it was a little bit of a surprise and I happened to be president of APHA. And I know that I am the first and probably the only president to ever give birth while in office. You know, that was a little yeah, different, you know, so. having to tell the CEO of APHA, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant and yeah, I'm gonna have a baby soon. But while this wasn't planned, you know, Andy was uh, so supportive. He told me he'd do anything that I needed and he would support me during that year. But you can't always plan. You know, we thought it would just be board meetings and stuff like that. But, you know, that year I just got very, very lucky and I was selected to receive an honorary PhD from Kung Han University in Thailand. And it was to recognize some work I had done in helping train pharmacists and faculty and establish uh, clinical pharmacy services there. The problem was that the ceremony was in Thailand and it was just three months after my son was born. I had to leave my mm -hmm. newborn and my toddler and go to Thailand to get the degree. And the degree was being uh, bestowed by the princess of Thailand. So I, there was no flexibility there. I had to go. But he, you know, he took it in stride and uh, he did just fine. But I do have to tell you that at the end of my presidential year, I had saved up some extra money and uh, I did send him to Pebble Beach so he could have a golf vacation because oh. I think he really needed it at that point. <laughs> I mean, he deserved that and much, much more. So, so that's just one story. But, you know, getting back to the fact that you're always a mom. So I have this new job. So I'm an executive director at ACPE. And in January, I had my very first board meeting. So, of course, I wanted it to go really well. I wanted to make sure that the, the meeting ran smoothly, that I was focused, everything was great. In the middle of the meeting, I start getting texts. Now, normally, I wouldn't look at them, but they were from Liz. And so, of course, oh, right. you know, your mom instinct kicks in and you think, what's going on? Long story short, she was sick. And she wanted to know, should she go to urgent care? So here I am in the middle of a board meeting trying to figure out if my daughter needs to go to urgent care. Then she was like, we decided she needed to go. Then she's like, well, mom, they're all closed. So I had a reminder, you know that thing called Google? Why don't you Google it and figure <laughs> out if there's one open at night? And you know, it all worked out. But my point is you're always a mom, even if you're sitting there trying to run a board meeting. So you know, she didn't care, she needed help and she was gonna contact me. I think, um, Nowadays, people are a little bit more accepting of that, more so with women. I know my husband's had issues where people kind of give him uh, you know, side eye and kind of say like, well, can't your wife do that? So you know, it's equal opportunity there. Uh, parents are parents and sometimes you yeah. just have to you know, stop what you're doing and take care of those things. But I do think that having a family has made me uh, more organized than I ever was. And it keeps you um, with a good perspective. You know now not to procrastinate because your time's not your own. So for example, if one of your kids gets sick and you left a uh, slide deck to be written the night before a presentation, that might not happen. So I think it's helped me be organized and get things done. Uh, the other thing is um, sometimes your kids need you and, and you, you focus on that and then you realize what's important and it helps keep your stress level down a little bit. Um, you know, you're not focusing 100% on work. Yeah, those are so important points. And, you know, I, you opened talking about a less life lesson that Sheryl Sandberg has also shared about the importance of choosing a life partner and a life partner. And I would say, you know, seeing you and Andy together over the years that he is so supportive of you and your career and your family and, you know, the success for all four of you as a unit. And, 
I know for me, having John, my husband, in my life is so important. So I think that'd be a takeaway for our listeners, whether it be your partner or other people, you know, that can support you in whatever you're doing next, that that's, that's just a really important thing. Yeah, he, we have a, a, a joke sort of at home. We call him the full service dad and the full service husband. Oh, I like that. So he's always reminding us when he's doing stuff. Yep, full service dad is at you know at work again. Yeah, yes. yeah. So as a Christmas present for him, I got a shirt with my face on it and his face on it. And the back says full service dad established 1999 because that's the year I was born. And he wore it last night to dinner. <laughs> oh, I like that, Liz. That's That's a really, really good one. That's a good one. So I know that your full service dad recently attended a big event for you and your mom was there too. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your white coat ceremony at Pitt and what is it and um, what does it mean? Yeah. So Pitt does a ceremony every spring semester for the P1 class. It's called the Dr. Gordon J. Vanskoy white coat ceremony. And it's basically just um, it marks the entry into, you know, your professional career and professional life for students. And they really emphasize the importance of it because it kind of represents us committing to a life of professionalism and committing to a life of advocating for pharmacy and serving in pharmacy. And it's a really, really beautiful ceremony. We practiced a lot for it and I actually helped organize it because I am one of my class representatives. And it was really, really cool to see the final product and to be able to look at all of the friends and family members who attended and see how proud everyone was because it is such a, an interesting and important event and it does really mark the beginning of our transition into a professional career. And the white coat itself is such an important symbol because it really denotes that you are a medical professional and that you have a knowledge base that not everyone is lucky enough to have. And it's really important that when you do wear that white coat, you are professional and you are an advocate for your patients, for the field of pharmacy itself, and for anything that can help better your career, your professionalism and pharmacy as a whole. It's just important that when you wear it, you recognize that it's a symbol of like the power that you hold within a medical field. Um, not many people are allowed or able to have that experience. And so it's, it's kind of an honor to be able to have something like that. And Jan, how was it for you being there for Liz's white coat ceremony? Oh, we were very proud. You know, back when I went to school, we didn't do white coat ceremonies. And I just think, just as Liz said, it's such an uh, important way to welcome those students into the profession. And so we were very proud to see her up there getting her white coat. Yeah, that is so cool. And I, I think highlighting, you know, the visual of people seeing, you know, when you see a white coat, what that means and why it matters in a healthcare setting and then I think the other thing is just reinforcing to the student pharmacists about the people that are walking with them on the journey. You know, when I was at Iowa Commencement a few years ago, when you looked out in the crowd and you saw the parents and the siblings and the spouses who have, you know, cheered on the student pharmacist over the years of, you know, it's a, it's a rigorous program to go through. So I think having your family, friends, supporters around you during the white coat ceremony, um, that's really cool. And it sounds like it was extra special. So that's, that's super fun. You know, another thing, Jim, when you and I talked about getting together for this podcast and having you on, I just really enjoy that you have a, a life that um, is big and full and filled with adventure and fun. And so 
one of those things is <laughs> you really are into music and you know some of that includes house of blues or you you visit different hard rock cafes i i love hearing and seeing about you know different concerts you've gone to at soldier field so tell me a little bit more tell our listeners about the role that live music plays in your life well, as you said, I don't think it's any secret, but one of my favorite things to do in my free time is attend concerts. I just really love live music. I think I'm lucky in that I have a lot of friends who are either uh, rock DJs on the radio or involved in the music business, such that uh, we've been very lucky. We've been invited backstage to meet several of the artists and just hang out. I mean, it's just a really nice diversion from pharmacy, but it's been nice to meet people from uh, all different professions uh, who also share that interest in music. Uh, because we live in Chicago, uh, we get so many great bands here, so that's always good. And because we live so close to those venues, I have to admit, I can be home and in bed before many people have even left that parking spot. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. So some of it is location. You know, I can do it and, you know, not be staying out all hours of the night. So I have to say, I really love music. I think um, I've shared that with Liz, although I have to say, I don't think uh, our our musical tastes are exactly the same. Absolutely not. But we certainly do like to go to shows together. So what's a show that you all recently have seen that you both liked? What do you think, Liz? I think I survived five, five sauce. That's right. Am I saying <laughs> yeah. it right? Yeah. Five seconds of summer. Um, you know, or Harry was, Styles. No, I think you liked, you liked Harry Styles a lot, didn't you? You said he was a great performer. He was a, yeah. I mean, did yeah. I, I like some of his music, you know, but I, I'd rather have some classic rock any day, but uh, <laughs> I do enjoy going to the shows with you. Yeah. Halsey, when we went to Summerfest up in um, Milwaukee. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was really hot. Oh my gosh. That was great. Yeah. So, so we even go to, you know, festival type things sometimes. Oh, yes. that's fun. She, the five seconds of summer one that we went to was actually at the Allentown fair, I think not last year, but the year before. And they're coming back again this year. So, um, Maybe we can go again, Mom. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. She neglects to mention that I have to pick her up in Pittsburgh and drive the five hours to Allentown, <laughs> go to the show, and then drive her the other five hours back. Yeah. I, I would also like to see some of your photos from those festivals. If you guys uh, are all decked out, Jan, do you wear the sunglasses and the fun outfits? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you know, I think the love of music is just such a cool thing and a diversion. And after APHA in Seattle last year, I talked to my husband. I'm a huge Cher fan and I've you know loved her since I was a girl. And I've seen her a couple times on her farewell tours because she's had a few farewell tours. And so I talked John into flying from Seattle to Vegas and we did see her doing her farewell tour. So I for sure get that how music is um, such an important thing. And it's a really great thing when you can share it with people you love. So that's fun. I love that. It's great memories. And actually, I've done it with several pharmacy friends, too, where we've gone to shows. And, you know, those are some of my great memories. And frankly, there's pictures of those memories sitting right here on my desk. Oh, I love that. That is, that is, that is great. So um, while I have you both, as we're kind of winding down, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? And Liz, do you want to go first? Sure. I think something, a life lesson that I try to think about and embody often was my high school senior quote. It's from an author. It's, do not take life too seriously. You'll never get out of it alive. It's from Albert Hubbard. He's an older American author. Um, that life lesson is something that I think I still need to work on with just kind of finding the right 
work and social life balance because if you're consistently worrying and stressing about work and you're very serious all of the time it can really take a toll on just your mental capacities and how you're kind of feeling overall. And so it's really important to be able to have a release in some sort of way, whether it's hanging out with friends or doing an activity that you really like to do that kind of de-stresses you. And, you know, starting pharmacy school is a very daunting thing. And last semester, I don't think I had a very good balance. I think it was mostly just stressing about classes and everything, you know, biochemistry is never fun. So, you know, I think that trying not to take things too seriously and learning how to create a balance and taking the things that need to be serious, doing them seriously, but then also having fun and being able to create a space in your life where you're able to de-stress and just enjoy yourself and have good times, you know, with friends, everything like that. That's just such an important thing to have. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. And what about you, Jan? Okay, I know this is going to be a shocker, but my favorite quote comes from Sammy Hagar. <laughs> so your younger members of the audience won't know who that is, but he is a musician. And my favorite quote from him is, I live my life at full volume. And that really resonates with me. I think that can mean a lot of different things for different people. So for me, full volume is usually I'm going at full tilt, you know, from morning till night. But I think you know, what that really means for pharmacists is uh, your full volume might be taking leadership and optimizing medications for your patient, one patient at a time. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be president of an association or in some, you know, big position uh, that everybody knows about. It can be just what you do on a day-to-day -day basis to take care of your patients or however you practice pharmacy. So living your life at full volume is just the uh, mantra that I kind of go by. What I try to do is keep busy with the things that I love, and that includes my family, our profession, and my friends, and of course with a little live music thrown in there, but just trying to uh, live life till its fullest. He also goes on to say that uh, I like, I live my life cranked to 10, and sometimes I like to push that to 11, but I think that's just part of enjoying life and having balance between work, our profession, our families, um, our friends, you know, just to have a more well-rounded uh, existence. I love that. I live my life at full volume. Because like you said, there's so many ways that we can do that and what that can look like. And Liz, I think your reflections about how to um, sort it out and when things get busier and juggling the balls and balance and all of that are all important lessons. And I think it just reinforces too that we're all just trying to figure it out. And so I think the things that we all have, talked about this morning and our recording kind of helps to sort that out to make sure that we have fun along the way, um, that we're surrounded by people that we love and that we're doing things that are meaningful and making a difference in healthcare. So I really appreciate the time. I'm, I'm so excited that we were able to do this and that it was a mother-daughter activity. And I just really want to thank you. This is the Melissa Arc Scripts podcast. And to everyone listening, please subscribe to the show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan, on social media. I want to say a special thank you to our podcast producer, Kate Cruz, with Executive Podcast Solution. I look forward to seeing you, Jan, at a future meeting. And Liz, we'll have to get together next time I'm back in Chicago. And keep up that fabulous writing. I mean, that PIP prescription is super cool. So looking forward to hearing what's next. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get to go to a concert together soon. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, yeah. let's plan that. <laughs>